today. Oh yes, today, tomorrow, and the days to come. The world is full of nothing. Yes, completely nothing. But the wisdom of ages is gone. Completely gone. No cure for death. Oh yes, our poem is entitled Sexual Violence. Sit back, relax, and enjoy as you listen to the big, big pillars of poetry. Well, 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 we come back to the same issue where sexual violence is still an issue and no one is taking an action upon it. Well, I and my sisters are going to ponder this situation together. We break the cycle of sexual violence. Why, 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 oh why? And the mother still remains silent. There should be a call to action with the girls in forefront together we break the cycle of sexual violence. By calling rape, rape, by reporting sexual assault, let's stand fame to break the cycle of sexual violence. By standing against patriarchy. By not selling our bodies for food and by not remaining silencing. Let's own our voices. Let's own our voices. Whether we're talking about the fear of failure or anything else holding you back, confidence is the key to unleashing your power. Welcome to Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. The world needs confident, inclusive leaders who embrace diversity to rise up. The time is now. Join us. Welcome to episode five, Turn Your Passion Into Action. Welcome, welcome everyone. Well, Olivia, this week we have a really exciting current event to talk about. Yeah, City just announced it will appoint Jane Frazier, the bank's current president as CEO, marking the first time a major Wall Street bank will be led by a woman. Congrats to Jane Frazier. That is very exciting news, but we also need to stop and pause and ask ourselves, why did it take so long, right? So we need to acknowledge that we live in an unfair and unequal world where the people who hold power historically tend to keep holding onto their power, not share it. This doesn't just impact gender. It's also unequal in regards to race, sexual orientation, ability, and other aspects of identity. This isn't just true for big banks. Look around, look at the leadership across any sector from sports and art to tech, the media and business. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. I know we need to keep the conversation going and acknowledge that the work for gender equality is far from over, which is the whole point of this podcast, to help girls and young women have the confidence they need to rise and make positive change. That's right. And speaking of phenomenal women making positive change, I'm so excited about our guest today. Christina Lowry is the founder and CEO of Girl Rising, a global campaign for girls' education and empowerment. In 2009, she helped found Girl Rising and in 2017, led its transition from a film production company to a nonprofit. Her passion for storytelling is founded upon decades of experience in documentary, film, and television, having contributed to and produced films for CNN, ABC, Martin Scorsese, and Robert De Niro. She lives in New York with her husband and three children. Welcome to Confident, Christina. Thank you so much. It's delightful to be here with both of you. So first, I just want to say that we both so deeply admire your work and the work of Girl Rising, and it is a true honor to have you on Confident today. Um, But can you start by telling us anything else about that we should know about you that we didn't include in your bio? Uh, You know, I think the biggest thing, I think with all bios, um, uh, one of the things that's easy to think is that this was all a very well-ordered path. 
Um, and when I look back now, I can see that the steps in my career and working life make sense, but at the time they didn't. Um, so I, I think what I'd like to say, because I think it's important for young people to, to hear this is there's so much, there's so much these days put on your plan and where you're going and what your goals are. And that is all well and good. And it's important for us to think that way. And if you do have a clear idea of where you're headed, absolutely, you should try to figure out the steps to get there. But I was one of those people who really had no idea what I wanted to do. And I felt pretty lost during my 20s as I was dabbling in different things. And I completely stumbled upon documentary film. It wasn't something that I knew one could do and then continued to kind of follow my curiosities and it all led up and made sense but it makes sense in retrospect it didn't necessarily it wasn't all part of the plan mm -hmm. so I guess what I would like to share is that um, I now have a role and a job that truly is my dream job, but it wasn't one that I set out to have. Um, and I think that if you, if you can follow the thing you're passionate about and curious about, even if you don't know where you're headed ultimately in the end, it will lead you to a place um, that you maybe never could have imagined even if you were plotting out your life with great um, care and order. Well, thank you yeah. for saying that because yeah. I feel like when someone of your stature is honest and, and reflects on that, it's almost, it almost comes as a relief to young people because the culture today is so much on getting the right grades and yeah. doing the right activities going and going to the right college, to, the right college um, to get the right job. And um, so that's, I think that's just being so authentic and honest is so helpful for, for young people. Yeah. And speaking of passion, I'm a journalist and editor for my school newspaper, and I admire your passion for storytelling. Um, how does Girl Rising use this power of storytelling to ignite change? So I, too, am passionate about storytelling and have been for a long time. Um, when I was in high school, uh, it took the form of being really interested in theater and theater performance. And then in college, I studied comparative literature and also loved theater. And then I found documentary film. And I found this medium that I found so powerful, partly because for me in my life, seeing and hearing real stories about real people has opened my eyes. And I feel like the stories can help us walk around in each other's shoes, can mm -hmm. help us understand difference, really understand that we are actually more similar than we are different, but really can expand our horizons. And also can help make big issues understandable and personal. And when we first started out to make Girl Rising, we were a team of filmmakers and journalists. We were actually not looking to make a story about girls' education. We were in the midst of researching a project on how to end global poverty. And we found these incredible statistics, enormous statistics, statistics like 130 million girls out of school and girls who finish secondary school six times less likely to be married as kids. Girls with another year of secondary school being able to earn 20% more. And we believed that the statistics alone were not going to actually change people's minds and hearts, that it is stories that help people 
understand issues and care about them and care about the people that are living through them. And the reality is adolescent girls are kind of invisible as a population around the world, right? They're not kids anymore. They're not yet women. They're kind of this in-between place that in many places they're for so long have been forgotten. And we believed if we could tell compelling, creative stories about real girls and show them, show their full humanity and their promise and potential, that that was the way that we could help people care about this issue and, and care enough to do something about it. And so we now use these stories um, the, there are nine stories in the original Girl Rising film, and we've gone on to tell others, as the heart and soul of our curriculum, which is used now in 11 countries with hundreds of thousands of kids. And interestingly, the stories, they help boys, for example, understand and feel why it's unfair that their mothers and sisters have different kind of rules that govern what they're supposed to do. It helps girls see that other people are feeling the same thing and, uh, and also see what's possible. Um, and so stories themselves affect people as humans in a deeper way than an academic report or a set of statistics. Now, the other thing I'll say, the other way that we use stories is to help people understand the narratives that are around them, right? We are all born into our little fishbowls <laughs> and are, are unaware for a long time of the forces that shape us, of, of what is the wallpaper behind us of the expectations that are placed on us, right? Of what we're supposed to be and do in the world. And... Interestingly, by using stories and talking about the stories of people's lives, one can begin to understand that some of these things that are dictating the expectations on us are in fact just narratives. They are constructs. Um, so we use stories in multiple ways um, as the spark, as the fuel for discussion, for activities in the classroom, for activists who are, you know, trying to fuel their movements. Um, we believe that stories are the one of the most powerful ways we can make change in the world. Yeah, that's okay. amazing. I literally have chills, Christina, yeah. because you just exemplified the, the podcast episode theme of turning your passion into yeah. action. And like... I feel your passion in my soul. It's so incredible. And, and I agree. I think that you've been able to humanize and create these yeah. stories that connect people to this issue of girls' education access in a way, in such a brilliant way that it never happened before Girl Rise, the Girl Rising film. So it, it's amazing what you've done and how you've been able yeah. to compel people to, to take action on this issue. And so I just want to take a minute and kind of drill down into the issue of girls' education access. Um, the number is st staggering. Around the world, 132 million school-age girls are out of school. And of course, the global pandemic has further amplified this inequality with about 10 million secondary school-age girls at risk of never returning to their classroom uh, in the aftermath of the pandemic. So can you just talk a little bit about you know, your curriculum and the actions you're taking around the world to address this issue? 
Yeah, so um, you're right. The numbers are staggering. They're, in fact, hard to wrap our head around. Um, And in the middle of the summer, uh, UNICEF estimated that actually 700 million girls, because of the pandemic, um, were out of school or did not have access to education. Um, And what we are doing, so Girl Rising works in 11 countries with over 75 local partners. And in terms of what we're doing within the pandemic timing, we are supporting our partners as they support the girls that they serve. And that looks different country by country. In some places like Kenya, we supported the creation of printed at-home learning guides that were delivered to 20,000 families in Nairobi. In Guatemala, we actually are in the midst of turning our curriculum into a radio program, into a radio curriculum, so that girls who are out of school and are stuck at home, um, and these are girls and families that have um, very limited technology, um, so radio is one of the most powerful ways to reach them. Um, in other places, we're simply working with our the teachers we work with and the organizations to adapt the curriculum so that teachers can use it over WhatsApp and um, and can continue to use these stories in the curriculum, which teach self awareness and rights and confidence and keep girls kind of motivated and proximate to learning. I mean, the statistic that you said, more than 10 million girls who were in school last February may never return to school. That is a heartbreaking number. And the reasons are so many. Um, And the reasons are many, I mean, boys are also suffering now to be, to make sure that we're, we're clear about that. But girls are, have a special kind of risk. And that comes from the harmful gender norms that are already the foundation in many places of their lives. Um, Girls often at home are the ones that are taking on more caretaking duties um, with families and parents who are struggling to survive and have to be out of the home. It's the girls who will have to take on more caretaking duties and domestic duties. Um, In many places, like in Kenya, school was the place that girls received menstrual supplies. Mm -hmm. So now that they're home, they don't have menstrual supplies. So they don't have, uh, they're not able to have a dignified period, right? They, They are at risk because they don't have some basic, basic needs. And as we know, the adolescent years determine so much for a girl. And heartbreakingly, teen pregnancies in many places have also spiked in this time. And um, so again, we at Girl Rising are really listening to our partners, understanding that our partners on the ground are the closest to these problems and have the most innovative and appropriate solutions for those communities. So we are trying to support them every way we can um, and deploying resources, funds, as well as adapting our tools for this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of these harmful gender norms, so I'm aware of the gender norms and stereotypes that exist within the U.S., but could you speak more about how these gender norms and harmful stereotypes contribute to this issue on a global scale? 
Absolutely. So if we step back pre-COVID even, this is not a, this is not a COVID situation. Um, there are many reasons that girls are not able to go to school, right? Sometimes it's a structural issue. There are not enough schools close by, so there's no possibility. Sometimes there are not enough uh, well-trained teachers. In other instances, it's simply poverty and families can't afford school fees or uniforms or books. But there's another barrier and it is a cultural belief in many places that girls are not worthy of an education because the value, their value in many places comes from, the, from, from being future mothers, wives in waiting. Their value is in their body and what they can produce, not in their potential uh, as they're not seen and invested in as the future problem solvers and future doctors and future scientists and future teachers. And this is sort of an upfront barrier to girls being educated. Very often, if families have to choose between educating their sons and educating their daughters, they will educate their sons because it is seen as a more useful, frankly, investment. Um, so many ways these harmful norms both affect girls' access to school and then affect their ability to stay in school and their possibilities afterwards. As you started this um, podcast talking about why has it taken so long for a Jane to be um, promoted to this position? It's because there are long-standing inequalities that make it impossible for girls and women to, to, to be in all of the spaces they need to be. So we need to keep figuring out how to undo those. And there are practical solutions, as I said, like we have to make sure there are enough schools for girls to go to school and enough trained teachers and female teachers. That's a really big thing in many places. And separate bathrooms. In some places, girls don't go to school because there's no bathroom for them. And again, back to the menstruation issue, they're not going to go to school if they can't go someplace and, and take care of the fact that they have their periods. Um, so they'll miss a lot of school. So there are many, many things that this what I like to call an upfront barrier effects. Mm -hmm. And this is the barrier that Girl Rising is working on, is trying to, around the world, change the way people value girls and value girls' education. So I just want to say, as a fellow founder of a girls' nonprofit, um, I'm so deeply in awe of how you're taking on yeah. this longstanding inequality. Um, I'm also just listening to you talk about Girl Rising and about how you've adapted and pivoted during the pandemic. I'm also inspired by that. And can you just talk about that skill set a little bit as a founder? You know, so you woke up in one day in February, March and said, okay, like we need to take action. Like, you know, what are the leadership skills that you had to bring to bear to, to adapt and pivot in that manner? That's a great question. You know, I think the biggest one is being resilient. Mm -hmm. And um, there are many times that this work feels big and heavy and a mountain that is hard to climb. And whenever I think that, 
I think about the girls who, whose resilience is really tested in ways that they pick themselves up and keep going. And so, you know, I think that there are, I think there are a couple things. One is just being able to say, okay, like circumstances have changed. I got to figure out how to adapt. Secondly, I think, um, I think that being able to um, loosen the kind of bounds of perfectionism is really important. And I think there is something that we as women and girls often feel um, and do as a result um, in trying, in thinking that we have to be perfect. We have to be, and as a leader, I think there's a lot of pressure on that, right? Like to be the perf- perfectly inspiring, perfectly clear, perfectly strategic, uh, a great manager, um, and um, and and real, and thinking that we have to have the solution. I have an amazing team of people, and one of the things that I did at the beginning of this is we really kind of opened up and have been discussing as a team how we're feeling, how we're doing, and understanding that we were going to be at a time shifting, that the sands were going to continue to shift, and we needed to pivot, and we couldn't wait until we were sure of what was like this, the best bet on how to respond to something. We just had to do our best and trust that and learn and, and know that we were going to learn from whether it worked or didn't work. Right. Um, so I, I think those are the things I would point to. Amazing. Yeah, those are great lessons. And you recently held a storytelling challenge. Can you share a story or two that touched your heart? Yes, I can. And I'll tell you, um, one of the reasons we held this storytelling challenge is because we believe that um, too often people who, there, there, are, there are millions of people around the world whose voices and whose stories are not heard. They are not part of the mainstream media. They are not the ones that we are pointed to. And um, we believe it's important to hear their stories. And we knew because we were seeing every day in our partners that there were extraordinary people who were doing amazing things that were deeply inspiring to respond to the needs of their community. So we have this open call for stories. It's a sort of a citizen storytelling campaign, having no idea if how many we would get back. Um, we have gotten over 1,500 stories from 97 countries. We accepted them in any language and decided we would figure out how to translate um, them. And um, I was just looking through some of them, them this morning again, and they are deeply inspiring Many of them are heartbreaking. They are incredibly courageous. Um, and so, yes, I will, I will read excerpts from two, um, but I have to tell you there are countless that, um, that are inspiring and make me smile and that think, oh my gosh, if she can do that, boy, I certainly can raise the game and, uh, and do better. So let me just pull up... Um, This is a poem uh, called The Weeping Voice by um, a young woman named Uchegi Irene Ukwomachi. 
I might have not said her name exactly properly. And I'll just read an excerpt, excerpt of it. We came into a world where they told us that our only worth was to bear children and keep the home, where we were likened to slaves with masters who we must obey without question, where we were offered as gifts or sold as property, and they made us feel that our very presence was burdensome, where they harassed our mothers for giving birth to us. They told us to bow our heads when we speak or are spoken to. They told us that we could only be seen and not heard, and our voices, along with a faint ray of hope, hope for brighter days, were swept under the rug. They told us to serve them food and water at the instant of request, to feed their egos by demeaning ourselves and lay their tired heads on our bosom without complaint. Then I'm gonna skip the middle section and go to the end. Our fight is for a different cause. What is right and what is fair, that is what we fight for. We fight for the opportunities we were denied, for the payment we're due, for the respect we lost, for the dignity we deserve. We fight for our independence, for our freedom, for a brighter future. Open your hearts and you'll see our worth. For without this freedom, we are nothing. Wow. I mean, drop the mic. That is incredible. So powerful. And a second one is um, from a young woman named Corrine. Um, and I'll read just a, a piece of, uh, of what she wrote to us. I am Corrine, 18 years old. I'm a Yazidi girl married as a teenager without having the chance to get a higher education and proper job opportunity. It is already 12 years that I've been dreaming of becoming a professional painter and an educated girl, which is so exceptional in my community. I was small, it seemed like it should be so, that I had to marry without, a, without accomplishing my education. It was decided that when I grow up, I had to have children and family life, putting in a big box all the minutes I spent by writing down my childish dreams and emotions under the fading light. I could not resist. I followed the path chosen by my parents and community, but my heart is weak. My dreams are endlessly colorful, and in front of me is a whole life. And she goes on to talk about how she's committing, how she's committed to supporting the girls in her community to actually be educated and to um, to not have the same thing happen. And those are two that you know are are rip my heart out to read. And yet I try to remind myself, like these girls around the world, they do not need anyone's pity. Yeah. They do not need. Uh, us to feel badly for them. They need the world to show up for them and to just give them half a chance, right? The most basic things to be educated and supported. Um, and some of the other stories, there are videos, there's poems, there's artwork. Um, there's one about these two twins from Nigeria who in COVID decided, oh my gosh, there's this whole community that doesn't have access to the internet. So distance learning isn't going to happen and they don't have radios. We're going to start a center and have young children come and we're going to educate them. And they are powerful and amazing and these little kids come every day and they're giving solid early childhood education in the midst of uh, a pandemic. Um, there's some young women who uh, do a spoken word um, dance poetry around gender-based violence, which also, again, you can see the power of individuals using their voice, coming together to address an issue, a need, an unspoken inequality, um, and you can feel in listening to all these stories, it gives me, in the midst of this very challenging time, great hope. Mm -hmm. And I do think 
Well, first of all, I'm feeling many emotions yeah. from those two pieces you wrote, but I am feeling grateful to both to you and Girl Rising for creating this platform where these stories can be shared, but also grateful as an American for the rights and privileges that I have. And I do want to say you use the word hope, and I do think that's something that Girl Rising and you do so well is you share all these stories in a way that actually is not, it, it gives hope. Yeah. And, and, and I, so thank you. I just want to say thank you. And I know that this storytelling challenge was leading up to your biggest day of the year, which is the International Day of the Girl. And I know that you and your team are working very, very hard on a very special celebration, a 12-hour celebration to be held on October 10th. So tell us all about it and how we sign up, because um, we want to be there. <laughs> yeah, wonderful. Well, um, we're so excited, too. This is our first year to do something like this. And this was the idea. This summer, we had a, um, a Young Leaders Task Force, a group of 28 young people who were aged 13 to 24, who worked with us this summer helped us in the storytelling challenge vet and catalog and score these stories and did a whole bunch of other things and they were the ones that said you know you can't just have a single event in one time zone um, which is what we were thinking of shifting our gala to be you know two hours that's timed for the east coast of the united states they said you can't do that um, and what about 12 hours that span the globe and have young change makers talking about what they're doing and experts talking about the issues. So um, we are really excited. It is on um, October the 10th, as you said, and it is from 10 a.m. Greenwich Mean Time, which um, means it starts here at 6 a.m. in the morning, um, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. East Coast U.S. time, and you can figure out, depending where you're listening from, what time zone that is for you. Um, and it, they're organized into six two-hour sessions. Um, and within each session, we're going to screen um, some chapters of our film and some other people's content. We're going to have panel discussions with experts um, that uh, that can speak to the intersection of girls' education and many things, girls' education and climate change, girls' education in STEM, girls' education in sexual and reproductive health. Um, and we're going to have um, our task force is, is deeply involved and is interviewing and the moderator for many of these. We're going to have breakout sessions and workshops and um, creative clips. So we really hope people from all around the world join us. Um, you can go to our website and see where you can sign up. Um, it's going to be interactive. We're using this platform that allows people to talk to us and us to talk to them and to do some cool stuff along the way. So we're really excited and we hope um, as many people as possible can join us. It sounds yeah. really cool. I'm excited to sign up. We will be again. there. We yeah. may be joining in at like 7 a.m. Yeah. or 8 a.m. Eastern, but we'll stay. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Well, Christina, I think we could talk to you all day. You are such a phenomenal, um, incredibly inspiring person. Um, but we're going to transition to wrap up the podcast. And we always end our podcast by asking three fun questions. We call them our three wise women questions for our listeners to get to know you a little better. Do you want to start, Beth? Of course. First, what has kept you sane during quarantine? Um, you know, I think what's kept me sane is time with my kids. Um, we've kind of dusted off lots of old board games that in the busyness of life we haven't had a chance to play. So time with my kids, uh, time in nature um, has really been the, and my work at Girl Rising, to be honest. I feel so deeply 
um, purposeful uh, and knowing that there is a great need in the world um, to wake up every day and have to see that uh, while this might be challenging for all of us, uh, there are many people who have it so much worse that I cannot help but to feel grateful. Mm -hmm. And second, next question is, you're such an incredible change maker, but who do you look to for inspiration? Like who inspires you as a change maker today? You know, who inspires me often are the teachers we work with, mm -hmm. the girls that we meet. When I look at this storytelling challenge, it is ordinary people who think, who see a need in their community and decide to do something about it. It's a girl who decided she was going to save pennies and ended up in the end raising tens of thousands of dollars to fund a school in Afghanistan. Um, you know, it's a adolescent boy who decides to do a food drive. It's, you know, people who are responding and who are just ordinary folks mm -hmm. who um, decide that they're going to make a difference in something. And, and in many ways, what inspires me are the people that for whom it surprises even themselves, um, uh, who don't think of themselves as a leader or a change maker, but are quietly doing the work of making their world a better place. Right. So well said, yeah. Christina, our last fun question is, can you share with us who you think, who you consider to be the greatest leader of all time, either living or historical? Well, I can't not choose today um, the amazing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, you know, so often I think when we think about great leaders, we think about uh, people who are way out in front um, with bravado and a big presence and Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, quietly, carefully, strategically, persistently worked for the equality of all people in this country. And I am amazed as I have learned more and more about her. If those of you who are listening, if you haven't seen the documentary, Notorious RBG, I highly recommend it. I learned so much about her as a person and also about the history of women's rights in this country. But if you think about what society and what the legal structures were that were in fact oppressing women and others um, and understand where she started, it's extraordinary to me. I can't imagine entering law school as one of eight women and being asked, why did I take the place of a man? And yet there she was not only uh, putting herself through law school and ultimately graduating the top of her class, caring for her husband who suffered a, um, a bout with cancer during that time and caring for her young daughter at the same time. This is a woman who um, her towering intellect, of course, is something that's impossible to not admire. But I would say perhaps even more so is her persistence. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a, a lovely piece that I read back in 2016, an op-ed that um, Justice Ginsburg did in the New York Times. And in it, she cites some advice that she got from her father-in-law um, who said, and I'll get the words wrong here, um, but something like, um, Ruth, if you, if, 
if you don't want to move forward with a small child and with your career, there's no, of course, you have plenty of excuses not to. But if you do, you will find a way. And I, I think that there's something, if you look at her entire career, and it, including the last few years of her life, um, to stay on the Supreme Court at age 85, 86, 87, um, again, with her sharp mind and her commitment to going to the gym every day, um, mm -hmm. her persistence and her strength of character of body of mind and of absolute commitment to equality um i think that we will continue to discover things that she did opinions that she had legal cases that she had that i might not know about now that later we will recognize them as linchpins in building the foundation for equality mm -hmm. so today Ruth Bader Ginsburg is the leader that I admire the most and um, point to as an example of how we all, over the course of our entire lives, uh, can fight for a better, more equal, more just world. It is such a beautiful ode to RBG. So thank you so much, Christina. And I know it's a very sad time, but the only thing that does give me hope is knowing that the girls and young women that we serve through both Girl Rising and Live Girl, that they will rise up and carry on the torch of RBG. That's what gives me hope and that's what's getting me through these days right now. So thank you so much for the remembrance. Thank you so much and thank you for all the amazing work that you do. Well, I loved our conversation today. Yeah, me too. Um, thank you so much, Christina, for joining. Oh, thank you. It was really delightful. We will make. Sure, we're going to encourage everyone in the Live Girl community to join you on October 10th. Yeah. We're going to post all the information. And to our audience, can we ask a favor? If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and share with a friend. And in closing, I'm Sherry. And I'm Olivia. And we hope that you feel more confident after today's episode. And every podcast, we give you a challenge. And our challenge today is to go sign up for the Girl Rising International Day of the Girl. Um, so be inspired and rise um, with this incredible organization. <laughs>